0: This morning I'm going to continue uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Actually, I believe this will be my concluding message on the fruit of the Spirit. But I just want to give a little background um, where I believe God prompted me to go to the fruit of the Spirit, share about the fruit of the Spirit. The, the actual title of my message was The Fruit of likeness. and it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, if, if Jesus is being demonstrated through us, what he's going to demonstrate through us is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to transform us into the image of Christ. One of the primary things that he's developing in us as he's transforming us is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul wrote about this in Galatians, He made it very clear that there is a distinct contrast between the fruit of the flesh, that sin thing, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I believe one of the reasons he made such a clear contrast is we should be able to see it, first and foremost, in our own lives. And of course, he says, you will know them as we look at other people. We can't judge hearts, but he says, you'll know them by the fruit. The fruit is significant. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what was stirring in my heart and, and mind as I was praying about, Lord, do you really want to go, go here with this? Was I, I, I see the importance in the Scriptures about a testimony like Robert just shared. A testimony is powerful. A lot of times our testimony isn't words. It's our actions. And it drives me crazy and it breaks my heart when I see so many people who declare themselves to be Christians struggling with so many things, in particular in their own families and with their children. And my question that was going through my mind is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what's evident in the lives of parents and moms and dads, is that's what's being demonstrated to their families, to their children. We can say all kinds of things. We can give them instructions, but they're going to learn from what they see. And the unbelieving world is the same way. Man, if you try to share your faith with an unbeliever, it just falls on deaf ears so often. But the same people are watching us. They're watching you. And what we do and how we live makes a huge impact, just like it does in our homes. We can tell our kids, this is how you're supposed to live, so Jesus loves you. Well, boy, that's a mistake right there. He loves you no matter what. This is how we should live to bring glory and honor to God. Okay. Okay. And then they watch us. Are they seeing the fruit? Are they seeing the fruit of Jesus? And I have so many people come to me saying, I don't know what to do with my kids. And sometimes I want to say, what fruit are you showing them? What fruit are they growing up in? What are they seeing in your life every day? Is it the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Or are they seeing the fruit of the flesh? Or are they seeing a mixture of the two which the fruit of the flesh will trump the fruit of the Spirit if we're doing it by the flesh? True fruit of the Holy Spirit can only grow by the Holy Spirit. We can do everything in our own strength to try to live that life that looks like the fruit of the Spirit, but it's not the real deal. And it will show through ultimately. Okay, now I'm going to try to go back and find my message. But take that seriously, I pray. Because I'm having to in my own life. I want people to see fruit. (laughs) That's of God. I don't want them to see mixture. I know I mess up. I know we all do but I want them to see the real deal. I want them to see the real Jesus. I want them to know when they do see fruit, it's coming from the source greater than me because I can't do it on my own. And that's what I want our children to see. I don't want kids running around in our youth program looking at me as their pastor and seeing the stuff that they shouldn't see. I want them to see the real thing, the real fruit. And that's my burden is like, We've got to demonstrate. We have got to humble ourselves. We have got to allow the Holy Spirit to develop the fruit in our life and do whatever it takes. And boy, that one characteristic, that one attribute, self control, my goodness, God, give me more self control. Holy Spirit, show me, reveal to me, convict me, do whatever it takes. Because I've been a Christian long enough to know what's the good thing to do and what's not the good thing to do, but then I'm like Paul and I do the bad thing anyway. And it's amazing how much people remember that one bad thing. That one thing. You know, you you, you that have been Christians a while and didn't live righteous and holy lives before you came to Christ. I mean I, I can't tell you how many times when I became a Christian I heard people come up to me and say, Oh yeah, we know you and Billy, that's my brother. Okay, please, forgive us. Try to erase whatever you know about me and my brother. We're different. I'm different. I'm hoping he's coming along a little slower than me maybe, but he's coming. But they remember those things. Oh gee, okay. Galatians 5. I'm going to read verses 22 and 25 again. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. He, he, Paul, when he wrote this, he He surrounded the main text in verse 16. He says, hey, live by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Comes to the end in verse 25. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. In between he says, this is what it looks like when you don't, but this is what it looks like when you do. Which are you? We talked last week, and I'm just going to do a quick review of a few things for some that weren't here. We talked about how the fruit of the Spirit is a living thing. It's the Holy Spirit. Fruit is designed to reproduce. An apple tree reproduces fruit that has the seed that reproduces more apples. Grapes, grapes, oranges, oranges. Fruit of the Spirit will produce fruit of the Spirit. We want to sow fruit of the Holy Spirit because that's what will be reaped. As we sow Jesus, the character of Christ, that's what will be reaped. It's a sowing and reaping principle talked about how in John chapter 15, Jesus talked about the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. You've got to abide in Me. When it comes to fruit bearing, if we're not abiding in Christ, there will be no fruit. As we look at the fruit, we'll see love is listed first. And I really believe when we are connected to the the vine, love is flowing to us through the branches which is us. And with the love of Christ, the other fruit, Fruit manifests in greater and greater ways. If there is no love, there's not any other fruit. And I spent some time last week, and I'm not going to review that this week, but I talked about the superiority, I believe, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit over the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And as I said last week, I I like the gifts. It's really awesome when someone gets a word of knowledge that someone's going to be here tonight and their right ribs need to be healed and we get a testimony that the right ribs are healed. That's awesome. I love the gifts. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote that, you know what? If you can do this, that, and the other thing, but you don't have love, you got nothing. You can do this, that, and the other thing, and all you are is a clanging cymbal, a loud noise. Nothing fruit of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are given to individuals as God desires to build up the body of Christ. The many parts working as one. But guess what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit are for every single one of us. And the fullness of them is for every single one of us. As we submit and surrender to the Holy Spirit. So no one on planet Earth has a right to more fruit than you need. No matter who they are. It's an amazing thing. And I think the point Paul was trying to make there more than anything else was the gifts, as awesome as they are, need to be controlled by and directed by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes when you go in a different direction, it's really good. Sometimes it makes me really nervous. (laughs) <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, you're not the one up here, brother. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so in me that how you and I are living our lives makes a humongous difference to the kingdom of God. Starting in our own families. Starting in our own families. The first place we're called to minister is in our homes. Nobody's watching us closer than our children and our spouses. What are we demonstrating? Is the fruit being manifested? Are all these nine attributes that Paul writes about, are they there? Are they there without mixture? And again, realizing we all mess up. I get that. But when we do, are we quick to confess it? Are we quick quick to repent of it? And quick to say, okay. Because fruit, like everything else, you know, if you went home, now let's say the first, uh, the first time the thaw, ground was thawed in the spring and you planted a new little apple tree, a little seedling, you know what? You're not going to get fruit very fast, are you? It takes time. It takes time. When the farmer puts the seed in the ground, there's got to be death first. And then it takes time. And ultimately, we get a harvest. And so it is with the fruit in our lives. It takes time. The Holy Spirit plants it in us. He brings it with us. It's in us. It takes time. We're responsible to do a lot of weeding, as he prompts us. A lot of watering, fertilizing, being in the Word, being with other Christians, fellowshipping. There's a lot of things that need to be done to to make it more easy for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do more than anything else, transform us into the image of Christ. And I can guarantee it unequivocally that as we cooperate, fruit will grow. It will grow. And as we allow it to grow and it manifests more and more in our life, and that's what we demonstrate to people around us, it's not only going to draw them to Christ because of the fruit, it's going to release it and grow in them because it's a living thing. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the fruit, the nine attributes. And I said last week, some people look at it as nine different fruit. I personally do not. I see one fruit with different attributes because I believe fully that the Holy Spirit has them all and they are in us all. And they should all be manifesting. And if you're like me, as I shared last week, sometimes I kind of like to hedge my bets and say, well, I'm doing pretty good in this area and I'm not doing so good in this area. Like it's not my fault, right? It's somebody else's fault, like the Holy Spirit's fault. The first fruit that listed, the first attribute of the fruit that is listed is love. Love in the scripture, in the Greek, there's numerous words for love. Um, Four that we talk about quite often, but there's two or three, four more also. But there is an eros, that's the Greek, eros love, which is an erotic sexual love. There is a phileo love. The church, Philadelphia, Phileo, brotherly love. It is a, a, a brotherly love for one another. There is a love called storge, the storge love. And this is kind of a natural familial love. The way a mom and dad love their kids and their kids love their mom and dad. Kind of a natural type of love. And they're all great. They all should be part of our lives at one time or another. But then there is the agape love. And this is the love that's being talked about. This is the love, if you look up these fruit of the Spirit and you go to a lexicon, you're going to see the Greek word is agape. And it is the unconditional love of God being poured out to those who are totally undeserving of that kind of love. We are not worthy to be loved like that. It makes it that unconditional love of the Father for us and it should so transform us because we realize we were unworthy and He loves us anyway. He died on a cross for us anyway. Because of that, we can't help but, by the Holy Spirit, release that love back to Him and to the world around us. And as we do that, the love of God changes more and more lives. And this fruit of love just keeps growing and growing and growing the agape love of God, the unconditional love of God. In verse John 15, 9 through 11, which we've talked about, but I want to read it quickly. It says, As the Father has loved me, Jesus is speaking, So have I loved you. Now remain in me. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that, you're, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. He tells us this. Remain in Him. Abide in the vine, so that His joy be, may, may be full in us. Just think about that. As we abide in Him, His joy is being fulfilled. He looks at us, and joy fills the Father's heart. And He says, also, that His joy may fill us. The joy of the Lord, which is the second attribute. First it's the love, then it's joy. The joy of God, the joy of the Lord. This is a way, really the only way we can live with this fruit being manifested by the Holy Spirit in us is to have an understanding and a realization of God's favor and His grace upon our life. God's favor and grace on our lives. His favor and grace is upon every one of you as His children. He loves us as His children. Unconditionally, Paul encourages us in James chapter 1 to count it all joy. Wow, calling it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, count it all joy in every circumstance. How in the world do I do that? If my joy is based on circumstance, it's impossible. This is a supernatural joy. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit manifesting as joy in our life because we know that God's favor and grace is upon us. As we get more familiar with the Word of God, we are encouraged by many, many, many Scriptures that tell us things like God will take every situation and He will work it for good in our life because He loves us and we love Him. It may not be pleasant. We may not like it but His grace and favor is upon us even in the midst of it. So whatever the enemy is trying to do, God's going to end up using it for His glory. And because He loves us and He's a good God, it's going to be for our good as we remain in Him. The third attribute is peace. Peace. And when we, we see people come forward for prayer, like last night, It's amazing, as was shared, how much anxiety, how much worry, how much fear there is. Peace is gone. Peace is just being removed by all these things that the enemy tries to stir up in our natural mind. The peace of the Lord is disappearing. The life of peace is a safe life and a secure life, even in the midst of the storms of life. How can we have that kind of peace? By only by knowing that God is in control. God is in control. Even when our life looks like it's spinning out of control, God's in control. He knows. He understands. He knows the past, present, and future. It's in control. He is never surprised by the situation or circumstance you and I find ourselves in. He's never surprised. He's never caught off guard. So we can have a peace in knowing that God is in control of what's going on. And it's really the result of allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to remind us who God is. Even to bring to our remembrance the way He's worked in our lives in the past. Bring to our remembrance Scriptures that are in the Word of God. Peace, knowing who He is. It comes no matter what circumstances are because it's a supernatural peace. It's not dependent upon circumstance. In John chapter 16, verse 33, He says, I have told you these things. This is Jesus speaking again. I've told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, this is is coming from a section of Scripture. If you get got a red-letter Bible where the words of Christ are in red, there's a whole bunch of pages in red here. He's giving this long teaching and encouragement and exhortation after the Last Supper with His disciples. And He's told them many, many things. And that's why He starts off this Scripture by saying, I have told you these things so. He's told them about the role of the Holy Spirit, even though they don't quite get it. He's told them about the, the vine and the branches. It's in this section of teaching. Abiding in Him. He's told them about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. He's told them about this again. Again, even in the midst of a lack of understanding, he's giving them foreknowledge. He's forewarning them. He's experiencing, or he's telling them what's about to happen and experience. He's actually, in this section of Scripture just preceding it, he's predicted his death, burial, and resurrection. He's kind of giving them the big heads up. And he's also told them that the times of scattering are going to be coming after he's been crucified and raised from the dead there's going to be a little bit of persecution coming your way. And that's when he says, I tell you all these things so that you may have peace, even though there will be trouble. Knowing he's in control. Trusting him. Love, joy, peace. The fourth attribute is patience, or depending on your translation, forbearance or long-suffering. It's with this that we can go from being short-tempered to long-tempered. Forbearing, patient. Paul used this word, this same word, when he described Jesus' attitude towards Paul. In First 1 Timothy 116, he said. For the very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience. There's that word. That He might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. What did He demonstrate? He demonstrated His immense patience with Paul. Most of us know his story as Saul, the persecutor of Christians, He was responsible for the death and imprisonment and the beating of Christians. This was Paul. And he's saying, God demonstrated patience toward me. Boy, most of us in here in our testimony could talk about the patience of God. We we didn't respond the first time we knew we probably should. But he demonstrated that patience towards us. Why? Why does Paul say that? So those that would believe in him would have an eternal life, but to be an example to the world around us. How patient, is the fruit of patience, that attribute of patience in our life when we interact with other people. Jesus was so patient and is so patient with each one of us. And he's demonstrating that same patient for those he's drawn to himself that have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's being patient with those that are running the wrong direction. He's being patient with the prodigal sons and daughters. He is being patient, are we? If the fruit of the Holy Spirit is growing in us, we need to be able to demonstrate that patience. Because if we don't, we run into judgment and judging. Gentleness. I better read it. Let's see. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You're not going to be very patient if you're not walking and living in humility. Gentleness or kindness. Kindness and goodness, kind of closely related. But when we see this kindness, it's talking about having a moral goodness or a moral integrity in us that's useful, that God can use. It's part of the Holy Spirit's fruit in us, and it flows out of us. In Romans 2.4, it talks about and reminds us that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance the kindness of God that leads to repentance. There's times I'm not very patient and probably don't demonstrate this kind of kindness with people that I know should know better. Or when you know that God's got this amazing plan for their life but they're running from Him, just like I did, like many of us did. And it's hard sometimes to be kind patient and again when we don't go into the fruit of the holy spirit we go into the fruit of the flesh and we get self-righteous and we start judging and not many of us find that attractive in others and it's certainly not attractive in us goodness an uprightness of heart a goodness and kindness in our life but it goes beyond this attitude it's not only that we desire to do good things but we actually do them and again, you can just see this in the Holy Spirit or in Jesus. The desire, the compassion. I mean, it's easy sometimes to have compassion on someone to, to see a need, but we don't act on it. We weigh the cost and decide it costs too much. I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have to be late. I might miss the first quarter of the football game. Something really important like that. The fruit here that we're talking about of this kind of of kindness, gentleness, if you would, is one that draws people. It's the kindness of God that caused and led them to repentance. Our kindness will lead others to Christ. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always trying to put the spotlight on Jesus. And if we're living by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will get the glory. And it may lead them to repentance. Repentance. Goodness. The uprightness of heart. 2 Thessalonians. We pray for, the God, for God's power to help you do all the good things you hope to do and that your faith makes you want to do. And that was written in a contemporary version, but it gives a message. You know, all the things that you'd like to do, the hope you would do, you know you really should do, but you will go do it. You'll go do it. Goodness. Faithfulness, in some translations, it's just the word faith. It's so intertwined here. But here, it's the, the, the attitude of being faithful, dependable, trustworthy. Because our faith and trust, first of all, is in Christ. And therefore, we are like Christ, and we are faithful. We are trustworthy. We do what the Holy Spirit would want us to do. Faith in Christ, faith in God, we understand, I think, and know what that is. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11, it says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you. This is Paul writing. He says, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of His calling. He's already called us. We've accepted the gift of salvation. We're already His. But Paul's saying, you know, I just want the fruit. I'm praying that the fruit manifests in your life to bring glory to God. Worthy of His calling and that by the power of By his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and every deed that's prompted by faith. Bear fruit. Gentleness. In some translations of King James, for example, it's meekness. And I think a lot of the modern translations maybe changed it because we have this wrong idea about meekness. Somehow, meekness means we're weak. We're we're weak. We're weaklings. We're meek. That's not what it means at all. It's not about being meekness. It's about a strength that it's being controlled. It's under control. The same Greek word it can oftentimes be translated or applied to. Excuse me, to animals. And when it's applied to animals, here's what it means: they've been tamed. They've been tamed. Think of a wild animal, a wild beast when they're tamed by man, the strength isn't gone. The ferociousness is still in them somewhere, but they've been tamed. And that's kind of the the picture and the meaning in the life of a believer when this gentleness is in control. It gives us the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit in us to tame those lusts of the flesh, those desires of the flesh, it gives us the ability to make the right decision. Hold it back. That it cannot overtake us. Jesus in Matthew 11:29 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And the key thing, you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Oh, I wish I had peace. I wish I was at rest. Maybe. Just maybe the problem that that's not there is because we are not living the way that we're supposed to live. God holds us accountable for what we know, and the more we know, the more we're accountable. The more we know and the more we disobey, the more guilt and shame and condemnation the enemy tries to throw at us. And the Holy Spirit, on the flip side of that, would simply convict us of sin and we would repent and confess it and receive the forgiveness and go on and let this fruit Grow in us some more so we don't make the same choices over and over. And the last attribute that's mentioned is self control. I wonder if Paul was just letting it build (laughs) because self control is such a hard thing for a human being. Self control the ability to control our body and our mind, our thoughts. Our ability to control all these sensual appetites, these all these lusts of the flesh that we might have. In particular, one of the the, the meaning is used more most often for chastity or sexual control, controlling all of those sexual, improper sexual urges that we have, but also something much more basic or simple in terms of what we drink, how much we drink, what we eat, how much we eat, moderation. Self-control is the opposite of those works of the flesh in our life. It's the opposite. You read Galatians 5 and you get down there where He lists the flesh and He lists the Holy Spirit. You wish you hadn't even read about the glass of the flesh. The contrast is so clear, so easy to see. And as we continue on, actually it's like a flashback to the book of Acts. Remember when Jesus told the disciples He'd commissioned them told them what, to go, what they're going to do. i got this massive job for you. You're going to go out into the whole world. You're going to change everything. But before you do any of that, go to Jerusalem and wait for something. And he said, wait for the power to go and make disciples. Now the clear context, is going to empower us to go and make disciples. But I believe we can take that wait for the power as the aspects or attributes of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the power. You're not going to be very successful in going and making disciples if none of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is being manifested in our lives. Go and wait for the power. It will transform you. Peter, I know you're kind of a nutcase, but you just wait. When the power comes, you're going to change. You're going to go from what you were to this over here. Not just you, Peter, but all of you. Mike, just wait. It's going to change you. Cooperate, it'll change you quickly. Don't cooperate. might be a painful growing period. And I want to close with verses 25 and 26. It would have been easier if he had just stopped at verse 25. But, if you read much of Paul's writing, you know he seems to be able to look for your feet and want to step on your toes. And he does it here too. Verse, <clears throat> verse 25, again, it's kind of like he's packaged all of this other stuff between these two verses, 16 and 25. And once again he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And really, Paul could have said it this way instead. Since we live by the Spirit, let's, live by, let's walk by the Spirit. Because he didn't doubt that the Holy Spirit was there. So it would read, since you live by the Spirit, since you have been given life by the Holy Spirit, the power of God in you, let's walk in the Holy Spirit. Follow me, the Holy Spirit. To make it really simple, it's kind of like a game we used to play. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. The Holy Spirit will not get behind you and push you. But He's always in front of us. Follow in His footsteps. Follow Him. Follow His lead in all things. He leads, we follow. But then in verse 26, He says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, and envying one another. What's he saying? It's pretty clear. He's telling us and reminding us of everything that he's written. He says that fruit grows best in a proper climate. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit grows best in a proper climate. So he says, here's a few things. Don't let this happen in your life. He says, don't let your pride enter into your walk. He says, don't give in to envy or jealousy. And he says, don't cause problems within the fellowship by gossip and things like that. It just slows up the growing process. We need to remember, and I think I shared this last week, but we need to remember that fruit grows and is produced to be eaten. Our fruit grows and is produced to be eaten, but not to satisfy our appetite. It grows to be eaten by those we come across and come in contact with. There is a starving world, and I think we all know this, and what they're starving for is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are starving for love. They're starving for joy and peace. They're starving for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. They're starving for all of these things. They're starving for self-control. If, and I believe this is Paul's real message here, is if the body of Christ, us, if we will produce the fruit, the starving world around us will eat it and God will receive the glory. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would teach us what I've been trying to cover. Lord, I pray that how I've spoken anything or if any flesh even in my own way of presenting it, Father, would hinder it. I pray, God, You would not allow it to hinder us hearing Your Spirit speak. Father God, that we would be reminded what You have done for us through Your Son, Jesus. And the love that you've demonstrated for us and continue to pour into us every single minute of every single day. That it would awaken in us an overwhelming desire to love you back in the same way and demonstrate it through obedience. And to love the world as you love the world. That we would be fertile ground to produce this wonderful fruit of your Holy Spirit. That we would do all that we can do from our half, our part, to make it easier for the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do in each one of our lives. Father, there may be some here today that are starving for those things that we've been talking about, the attributes of the, the fruit. And it may be because they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. God, that they're relying on something else. Good works. False things. Lord, I pray that You would woo them by Your Holy Spirit. That they would come to that place of knowing that they are a sinner and need to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The One who sacrificed His life on a cross for us. And that He was raised from the dead demonstrating that the total defeat of the power of sin and death. And that the Holy Spirit would move in and indwell them immediately when they make that choice. And the fruit would begin to grow. And they could experience the kind of love and the kind of joy and the kind of peace that the world and each one of us so desire. Lord, I pray you would, by your Spirit, Quicken all of these things for your glory in each one of our minds, our hearts, our lives. Lord, I pray now that as we leave this place, Father, go our separate ways, that we would go with confidence that you're in control, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading, we would be quick to respond to whatever it is you lead us to, that we would have confidence that you will give us words to speak, to share the good news of Jesus, and that you would... Use our testimonies to bring glory and honor to you. Keep us safe, I pray. This week as we gather together, many people travel to celebrate Thanksgiving with families. Lord, I pray that we are continually having hearts filled with thankfulness and that we might express it as we communicate with you. And I ask all this in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.